Jude is a little letter towards the end of our Bibles, end of the New Testament, just before Revelation. Just takes up a little over a page in my copy of the Scriptures. And uh, we'll read from the first two verses of Jude. Jude 1 and 2. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, now as we um, turn our attention to listen to what you have said through your word and know, Father, that uh, you are good and you want what's best for us. So, Father, help us this morning to trust what you have to say in your word. Help us to have ears to hear it, to have eyes to, to, to see the wonderful things that are here before us. And, Father, most of all, Help us. Help us to follow and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, as our King. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we are currently living in a very challenging time to be a Christian. Uh, I recently read an article that compared uh, what we are experiencing now in our society to what was kind of happening at the end of World War II when the, the Allies uh, were working to denazify Germany following that awful war. Uh, the author in that article went on to say, they sought to identify Nazis and uproot the influence of Nazism across all of society in culture, media, economics, and politics. Their goal was to create a Germany that was post-Hitler and therefore post-Nazi. The writer goes on in that article to say, it seems to me that in the West today we are witnessing an attempt to de-Christianize our society to identify and destroy the influence of Christianity wherever it exists. The goal, of course, is to create a society that is post-Jesus and therefore post-Christian. Christian sexual morals are now said to be bigotry. Christian understandings of marriage and family are now said to be oppressive. Christian understandings of justice are now said to be discriminatory. End quote. So we all have felt this pressure. Uh, we all know what he's talking about. We have, we have felt the need to, to keep our belief in biblical morality quiet, even though those same morals used to be quite common and acceptable within our society. And here we are today in uh, the month of June, which um, used to be a month that I really looked forward to. Summer break, swing pools open, playing and watching baseball games, but June now has become a month that I just must endure. It's now the month where you could say the 
de-Christianizers show their true colors. Almost every leading corporation, retail, and media company, and even every professional sports league and, and team are doing their best to make sure that you know if you are still one that holds to biblical convictions of sexual morality, if you're still one who believes that, that God created mankind in his image as male and female, well, then you are an obstacle that must be overcome. You are someone who must be overthrown. There certainly are challenges for God's people coming at us from outside of the church. But there are also challenges from inside our churches as well. The pressure from those that want to de-Christianize our society has led many who identify as Christians to, to seek to de-biblicize their churches. They seek to soften their church's teaching on sexual morals or, or on the gospel to be more inclusive of others within the world that may have different viewpoints. They want to take the church's focus off of proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of Jesus Christ to just trying to make the world a better place to live. There are also a wealth of attractive false teachers who claim to be Christian who are flourishing on television, on radio, and especially on the internet through social media, videos, and podcasts. Uh, their books and worship songs are sneaking their way into otherwise biblically sound churches. So this is also a time when the church is facing some serious challenges from within, and not just from outside. And so here we are. We've come to the letter of Jude this morning, and what we must recognize is that the church has faced similar challenges before. The people of God uh, being challenged like we are today is not something that is new. God's people have faced challenges throughout history, challenges from without and from within, but they have been kept, they have been preserved by God's word. And that is why we are going to focus this summer on this little known letter from Jude. It's a, it's a brief letter, just, just 25 verses long. It really didn't take uh, Regan long for her to read the whole thing to us earlier in the service. Uh, but despite it being brief, it is rich with the truth that will help us to contend for the faith in this challenging time. It, it was, in fact, written for that very purpose. We see that in verse 3. Uh, Beloved, he says, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That is his purpose for writing the letter. The churches of Jude's day were facing challenges from without, from uh, the Roman Empire, who were about to make it the official policy of the empire to persecute and kill Christians. But as Jude makes clear in verse 4, they're also facing a great challenge from within. As, as he says, certain people have crept in unnoticed, ungodly people, he says, who were perverting the grace of God and denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. 
So Jude pens this letter to appeal to the believers to contend for the faith. That is, to stand up and do what was necessary to persevere in their commitment to Christ and to his life-giving word. That is the gospel in the midst of these challenges. But first, he wants to establish the foundation for that faith in verses 1 and 2, which is our text for this morning. And our theme from these two verses is that we are to know the security and blessings of being in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We are to know the security and blessings of being in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, all letters begin with a greeting, and this letter is no different. It's a, it's a brief greeting. It's only one sentence long uh, contained in just these two verses. Uh, and like most greetings, especially in the first century, um, the greeting informs us of the author of the letter, the letter's intended recipients, or the readers of the letter, and a blessing. So let's first look at who the letter's author is. That's right there in verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So this is the author and his relationship to Jesus Christ. Uh, whereas when, when, we, when we write letters or emails, we usually sign our name at the end of the letter. In those days, the proper way to identify yourself is at the very beginning of the letter, which is what Jude does here. And of course, most of us, when we get a letter, even though we haven't seen or read who signed it at the end, we, we know who it's from, right? We, we, we know who we're getting this letter from. Maybe there's a heading at the top of the letter um, in the stationery. Maybe there's a return address on the envelope. Or maybe you just jumped over and looked at who wrote it to you right away before you started reading. So we know right away who the author is. And it's Jude or Judas, more literally. But you can understand why the uh, 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 ones who put the uh, New Testament together did not want to name him as Judas. So they used Jude instead. And that, and that may be what he went by as well. Uh, Jude was a very common name in those days, so he further identifies himself by giving two other self-descriptions here. The first is a servant, or more accurately, a slave of Jesus Christ. This is how Jude identifies himself here initially for his readers, a slave of Jesus Christ. The very first thing he wants his readers to know about him is in regards to his relationship with Jesus the Christ. He tells them he is Christ's slave. And in so doing, he acknowledges that Jesus Christ then is Lord. He is Jude's master. This letter then is coming to them from someone whose will is wholly to do whatever his divine Lord commands. What he's about to say to them in the letter is done in service to and for the honor of the Lord Jesus. Slave of Jesus Christ is a humble and submissive title, but it's also a title of great honor. For in calling himself a slave or a servant of the Lord, he is claiming the same title as men like Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, and the prophets. They were referred in the scriptures as the Lord's servant. So Jude and each of, of, of these men were willing slaves of the most honorable 
powerful, holy, and gracious master who reigns over all of heaven and earth. Jude also identifies himself as brother of James. Now this James must have been pretty well known if the recipients of the letter would have recognized who he was in relation to Jude. Uh, This is still a very common way to help others to get to know you better. Uh, You might mention, you know, who your parents are. You might mention that that you're a friend of of someone that they know, and then they will immediately uh, uh, place you as, oh, okay, yeah, I I understand now who who you are. It'll it'll help help them to get to know you better. Uh, Last weekend, I was at a graduation party in Blue Earth, Minnesota, uh, for my, sis, uh, my, uh, my wife Greta's sister's daughter. And so almost no one knew me there. No one knew me there, almost. And so all I had to do was tell them I was Greta's husband. Who are you? I'm Greta's husband. Oh, okay. Now I, now I know why you're, why you're here. Uh, you know, immediately they, they understood uh, who I was. Well, that's what Jude is doing here for us. Uh, Jude was, was most likely... Um, the brother of, of the James that's mentioned in Acts, um, known in Acts as the elder or the leader of the church in Jerusalem. The same James, the apostle who wrote the New Testament letter that was named after him. He is also the James who Paul mentions in Galatians 1.19, where Paul says that this James was the Lord's brother. So if James was the Lord's brother, and Jude is the brother of James, what does that make Jude? That's right. He would also be the Lord Jesus' brother. He grew up in the same household as Jesus. He was his little brother. He ate at the same table as Jesus. Probably heard Jesus tell stories while he was growing up. Probably knew what Jesus' favorite color was and whether or not he ate his broccoli. He grew up with Jesus. And in Matthew and Mark, we are are told the names of Jesus' four brothers. They are James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, or Jude. So this Jude is the Lord's brother, technically, of course, his half-brother, but but Jude follows his brother James' example and doesn't mention this close family blood relationship he had with Jesus as his brother. Doesn't mention it here in his letter. James doesn't mention it in his letter either. Now, we sometimes have, have complicated relationships with our family members, don't we? Maybe some of you have had family members that, that think that you might be, just be a little bit strange for taking your religion so seriously. Maybe you've been the subject of their mocking, or at least they've poked fun at you for following Jesus as devotedly as you do. Um, maybe you, you know that they tend to talk about you behind your back. Uh, maybe you've seen them roll their eyes on different occasions when you've talked about different ways you've been practicing your faith or trying to follow and be obedient to Christ. Maybe you talked to them about the gospel and it wasn't received very well. Or maybe it's even created some distance in your relationship with them. Well then, the story of James and Jude should be a great encouragement to you. In Mark chapter 3, just after Jesus began his ministry of teaching, we are told that Jesus' brothers thought that he was out of his mind. He was crazy. 
Then in, in John chapter 7, we are shown that his brothers were kind of taunting Jesus a bit sarcastically, telling him that, well, you know, he really should take his ministry to the big city of Jerusalem, you know, seek to draw more attention to himself there instead of just doing it in these little villages around Galilee. And then John tells us there in John 7, verse 5, for not even his brothers believed in him. Both James and Jude went from close family members who were most known for their unbelief and their mocking of their older brother Jesus to being two of the most devoted early church leaders who went on to die for their faith in Jesus. They preferred to identify Jesus as their Lord than to try to win the praise and honor of others by making it known that they were also his brothers. As Jesus told us, it is far more important to be a brother of Jesus spiritually than it is physically. Secondly, in verse 1, we see the readers and their relationship to God through Jesus Christ. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So after identifying himself, Jude then describes the intended recipients of this letter. This is very similar to the basic way you were taught to write a letter. We would write, you know, dear at the top of the letter and then, and then write the name of the person we were sending the letter to, or if we didn't know the name, we might address it, dear sir or dear madam, or to whom it may concern. Well, Jude uses a bit, bit longer of a description for the readers uh, whom this letter was intended for, and I think it's a wonderful thing for us. He says, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Jude doesn't give any names, uh, he doesn't name a church in a specific city like, like Paul often does in, in his letters, like to the church in Philippi or the church in Corinth, for example. Uh, most believe Jude was, was sending this to a specific church, but, but since it is not specifically addressed uh, to one, it's a good possibility as well that Jude intended this letter to be shared with other churches, to be passed around to other churches, for the problem of false teachers was fairly prevalent in the mid to late first century. So we can be confident this letter is intended for all people who fit this description. It's not just for one person, but for many. It is, it is for those, plural, for those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. This, of course, is a description of a Christian. This is a description of God's people those who have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and who are in relationship with him. So if you are a Christian, then this letter is intended for you to help you to contend for the faith. So we ought to read it and pay attention as we would other letters that are written directly for us. And we were helped to contend for the faith from the very beginning of the letter here in this description. With this greeting, Jude is reminding the believers of who they really are. He is pointing them toward how they are to identify themselves. He is showing them that at the very foundation of who they are is their relationship to God 
through Jesus Christ. We are shown in this description some wonderfully gracious truths about those who have come to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. They are not uh, in that relationship because of anything that they have done to, to earn that great privilege. They are not just generally better people than others or, or more well-known or, or those who have lived their lives in a certain way to win God's favor. It's not even the case that they are God's people because they sought out their relationship with him. Rather, it says, they are those who are called, beloved, and kept. God's people are so because of God's choice. God is the initiator. God is the one who came after us. We are his because he sovereignly determined that we would be. The word for called here means effectively summoned. Not simply just invited, but brought into relationship with God by his own sovereign act. And this is nothing new to those of us who are Bible readers. This should be fairly familiar to us. It stretches all the way back to Abraham in Genesis 12 when God called Abraham to leave his home and family and go to the land of Canaan. God then, out of his own initiative, made a covenant with Abraham to bless him and to make him a blessing. And if you have a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ today, then you stand in this long line of succession that stretches all the way back to Abraham. God called you and made a covenant with you through Jesus Christ to bless you eternally and to make you a blessing for others who might hear his gospel call through you. So we also see that, that all those who are called are also beloved in God and kept for Jesus Christ. We, we are not to see these three descriptions in, in any way separate from each other, but as one. The emphasis in the original language is, is on the word called. And the other two modify that word called. It's those who are beloved by God and kept for Jesus Christ. Those are the called. They are the called. So Judah's going, is, is, is getting a little theological here for us. Uh, you, you'll find out as we make our way through this letter that he loves to use groups of threes. Um, he loves to use you know, three different descriptions, three different ways of, of, uh, of making his point. And, and in this group, he's actually helping us to see how believers are in relationship with the triune God. For we are beloved by God the Father. We are kept for God the Son, Jesus Christ, and called by the Holy Spirit. So think of the certainty, the security, and the comfort of such a reality that we are to know and to trust in. If you have come to know God, you are beloved by him. And this love does not depend on you being lovely or you being lovable. It completely depends upon God the Father's sovereign will to love you. As Moses instructed God's people just before they entered the promised land in Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8, he said there, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples uh, who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people, 
that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. Nothing in and of yourselves for why this happened. Not because you were more obedient, not because you were, you were, you were better looking, not because you, know, you were more honored than other people. No, no, no. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. Why did the, the, why did the Lord call you? Answer, he called you because he loves you. But why does the Lord love you? Bible's answer, the Lord loves you because he loves you. If you are a parent or a grandparent, you've had to answer the questions of a curious four-year-old. You've probably given the greatest two-word answer that there is to the but why question. Just because. Why, Daddy? Just because. But daddy, why? Just because. That is God's answer to, to why you are one of the called, why you are one of the beloved, why you are one of the kept, just because God loves you. And you will be kept. That is preserved. This, this, this preservation by God in and for Christ is a key theme in the letter where we're gonna see the same word for kept, used several other times throughout this letter. The two most inter interesting ones uh, that we will get to in due time are in verse 21, where Jude instructs his readers to keep yourselves in the love of God. He is indicating here in verse 21 that as God's people, we have a responsibility, we have a commitment to keep, and we must work, we must do things to remain where we need to be in our relationship with God. But then just a couple of verses later, at the very end of the letter, in Jude's wonderful uh, benediction that I and so many other pastors love to use, Jude writes there in verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you, to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless who are the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. So we are to keep ourselves in the love of God, but Jesus Christ will be sure to keep us, to preserve us, to keep us from stumbling in order to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The Puritan Thomas Manton said in a sermon once, Jesus Christ is the cabinet in which God's jewels are kept. So that if we would stand, we must get out of ourselves and get into him, in whom alone there is safety. So brother and sister, continue to look to Christ and depend upon what he has already accomplished for you in his life, death, and resurrection. Remind yourselves daily of what he says about who you are and why you are what you are in him. You are called, beloved, and preserved for Christ and his glory. And then verse two, the gospel blessings of those in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Here's the blessing. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So here we have another one of 
of Jude's triads, of his, of his threes here. These are the blessings that Jude offers his readers at the very outset of this letter. Uh, this is what he is praying that they will receive through heeding the message and commands of his letter. They are all graces that will be received only by those who are called, who are beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Uh, mercy, of course, is the foundation of our relationship with God. If any sinner is to be in relationship with God the Father, it will only be due to his mercy in pardoning our sins, not pouring out his wrath upon us for our sins, which is what we deserve. His forgiveness then leads to our peace with God. Uh, one of the simplest and best definitions of biblical peace that I have heard is that peace is the condition when all is well between God and us through Jesus Christ. Peace is the condition when all is well between God and us through Jesus Christ. Jude knew this was a costly peace. Remember again what the gospel writers tell us about Jude's relationship with his brother Jesus during the years of his ministry. Jude was not a supporter of his brother's work. He was embarrassed by it. He would have preferred Jesus have not left Nazareth and started teaching. He came with his, older, with his other brothers to try to talk some sense into him in Mark chapter 3. They thought he was out of his mind. They, they couldn't believe some of the things Jesus was saying about himself. It went so far as, as to Jude and his brothers then mocking Jesus about thinking that he was such an important person that he ought to get himself to Jerusalem because that's where the big time teachers and leaders need to go to really be somebody, to really make something of themselves. But of course at the time Jude would have had no idea that Jerusalem would be the place where his brother, who is also the son of God, would end up being crucified. On a cross just outside of that great city, Jesus would be condemned and killed and suffer condemnation for Jude's sins and for your sins and my sins and the sins of all those who are called beloved, and kept for Jesus Christ. It was through that amazing work that God made it possible for Jude to receive mercy and pardon for his sins and for his unbelief and to have peace with God, not just for now, but for all eternity. So his heart was changed to being one that was filled with love for God and for his brother, who he came to submit himself under as his Lord. So has, has your heart changed like Jude's was? Maybe a better way of asking the question would be, have you known the mercy, peace, and love of God through Jesus Christ? If you have, then, then like Jude, you have been transformed from someone who doesn't believe that you need to listen to Jesus to being someone who loves to hear Jesus' words, who loves to hear his teaching, who knows that your life depends on what his words say. 
You've been transformed from being someone who never took Jesus seriously to being someone who believes that Jesus Christ is Lord and the only way for sinners to be at peace with God. Your whole perspective on life has changed from one who was once embarrassed to be in relationship with Jesus to one who is happy to identify yourself as a slave of Christ, one whose will is holy to do all that your Lord commands. So may the Lord help every single one of us to become like Jude and have mercy, peace, and love multiplied to us in increasing measure as we go through this letter this summer. The world may want to de-Christianize the church, but this letter will help us to know and enjoy the mercy, peace, and love that can only come from being fully Christianized. That is, looking to and living for Jesus Christ as Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, um, we thank you for this letter, and we look forward to what you will teach us this summer uh, as we spend our Sundays uh, hearing these words and uh, meditating on them. Father, we admit uh, our need for help. Uh, We feel the challenges in, in this society. We feel the challenges within the church. We feel the pressure. But Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to honor you. And we thank you that you tell us here we are called, beloved, and kept. Help us, Lord, to trust these words and to be filled with your mercy, peace, and love to do your will, to contend for the faith. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.